0: In this episode, I speak with Jonathan Peugeot. He's a well-known thinker and icon carver who primarily explores symbolism and how it informs our worldview. I've been following his work for well over a year now, and I'm very fortunate that I got the opportunity to speak with him. So that I don't interrupt the conversation midway, I'll mention this episode's sponsor now. But if you'd like to skip to the beginning of the interview, you can jump ahead to the time on your screen. This episode is sponsored by Hook Sounds. At the center of many creative projects is the music. But as someone who creates online content, I know how difficult it can be to find high quality music that doesn't belong to someone else. In the worst case scenario, your content can be demonetized or even removed if you cross certain licensing boundaries. To address this problem, Hook Sounds provides access to a library of high-quality music. Everything from epic and serious, to playful and fun, to futuristic and lo-fi, and much more. For just under $15 a month, you get access to a premium subscription. All songs, sound effects, and even intros. There are no extra payments. You have unlimited downloads and valid-for-life licenses. And with new music being added every week, you won't ever run out of creative options. Additionally, if you use the link in the description of this video, I'll get a small commission on any songs you purchase. It's a great way to support the channel, and you can also use the promo code Dylan10, that's D-Y-L-A-N-1-0, dylan one Dylan10, to get an extra 10% off any of the subscription deals. Lastly, all the music you hear in this video is a Hook Sounds production, and if you like the sound of any of them, I've included the details for each song in the description. And now we turn to my interview with Jonathan Peugeot. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So I actually want to start off with maybe a, a little bit of a different question, which is: Do you ever get do you ever get tired of talking about symbolism, or is it something that you find <laughs> just endlessly fascinating? Uh,
1: the, well, the interviews help, you know, because you know, if I'm doing videos, one of the problems. That happens is i i really don't like i don't like talking about things twice like i do i do tend to to try to keep talking about different things uh but that means that it's good to have these types of interviews because people don't just know what i'm talking about so it's hard like how do you talk to someone who's never heard about symbolism so talking to people like you is actually great i like it because it forces me to kind of reformulate it often reformulate it from the beginning but uh, no, I never get tired about, of talking about symbolism. Ultimately, because it's an indefinite like you could just there's a million things you could always talk about. There's there's no there's no end to it.
0: Yeah, uh, it it you speaking now reminds me of when I started learning to play the guitar. Um, it's the one thing that I've that that has managed to keep me perpetually interested because there's no end. Um, there's always another technique or another song or another melody or another um, what could you say um, muscle memory to build and uh, symbolism is maybe, uh, well, it is uh, much like that. Um, I I thought maybe we could start off with, uh, I don't know if this is a simple question or not, but it, you often talk about the distinction between how we see the world today as modern people and how the ancient people would have viewed the world and the, the lens through which they would have observed things and perceived things. Uh, would it be possible to pin down maybe the fundamental distinction between how we as modern people tend to view things as opposed to ancient people is there a one core at the center that differentiates our our perception from theirs
1: yeah i think that the best way to understand it is there's a move away from the phenomenological point of view as being this the let's say the point of consciousness towards a a kind of abstracted uh an abstracted scientific vision of understanding the world. And so I would say that although it was preparing itself before the Copernican revolution is definitely the moment where things shift radically, uh, not in terms of the way people think of it, in terms of just thinking of the causality of what turns around what, but rather the, the possibility of formulating a system in which man and earth isn't the point of view. And so it's like projecting your mind into space and then imagining this like solar system or whatever, and then thinking that that is somehow more real than the sun coming up in the morning. So it's like, it's a progressive transformation, but it's like that, I think that's one of the main places where the shift happens. And so and so I think that the technical scientific point of view brings us in this alienated space, especially as technology gets added to it. And so we we start to think things like, you know that water is is more h2o than it is wet you know and uh, refreshing so we start to see things in their mechanical causes as being primary rather than the way in which they're meaningful to us as humans um and so th- so you and then you kind of see this weird deconstruction which happens uh as as the as things move forward, so I, I would say that that I hope that helps. Like I think that that's just a basic way to understand the difference between an integrated, you know, point of a point of view where the world is meaningful and and we don't let's say we engage the world with meaning, and one which is technical and alienated.
0: Yeah, so we actually kind of uh, embed ourselves in abstractions, right? And then we kind of forget that they're abstractions. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's interesting. It's super interesting because people
1: don't realize that something like the solar system is an abstraction. You, yeah. you cannot experience the solar system. There's absolutely no way a human being can experience the solar system. And so it's actually like a, it's an abstract model that we we create and that we kind of hold in our mind. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with, with abstract models. It's just that if we see these abstract models and these, let's say, these uh, these levels of reality that we don't have access to from experience, if we see them as primary and more meaningful than the ones we have, that's when the that's when the problem happens. And there's a, it's almost like we we actually live in an alienated reality. The same goes for microscopes and telescopes. It's like you you look at something and you think that what you're seeing through the microscope is somehow more real than, you know, the orange that you're eating. Uh, and so yeah. yeah.
0: So, so, what is the what is the difference between um, one of these models that you describe, like an abstract model of something, and a symbol? Well, and so well,
1: it's not that it's not that scientific vision and abstract these abstract models can't have symbol symbolism to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly that the integrated or the phenomenological point of view because it is focused on the way in which things come together towards their meaning, it ends up being more, um, it ends up being more attuned to what we could call symbolic thinking. And so, and that's the best way to understand what symbolic thinking is, is to understand that in order for categories, any category to exist, it has to be patterned. It has to fit, it has to be pattern itself and it has to fit in a pattern, whether it's just Unity and multiplicity inside, outside, there are different, you know, there are different ways we recognize things as having has having a center in terms of an identity and then a limit in terms of its of, of how much it extends into the world. Like these these types of basic understandings. And so once we we see that, then that would be the basis for symbolic thinking. And so we understand that the symbol is the manner in which multiplicity is joined together towards its meaning. And that's that's that that's what the word symbol means. What well, the symbol means two things two things thrown together. So we talk about symbol as being the place where two uh, two uh, rivers meet, or we say the symbol of the apostles in the sense that we take we have like the whole of Christian faith. Then we take these different elements we think are essential. We kind of gather them together. We compress them into a symbol, and then it's like we have. A, a map let's say of what christianity is and so that's the way to understand symbolism
0: so the 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 modern abstraction is is uh, i'm reminded of a quote i can't remember now who said it but um the line is that you know we confuse the signpost for the sign uh, to where it's pointing so we we end up climbing up the signpost instead of going to where it points um, would that be kind of like what we're doing as opposed to going toward into the town that the signpost is is pointing us towards and like walking through the town and smelling the smells and, and, and tasting the foods and seeing the people We're kind of, uh, we're kind of confusing that for the abstraction that we've created. Um, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, that,
1: that, that could be, that could be a, a way of understanding it. I think that the biggest, the biggest problem. Yeah. The biggest problem is, is mostly in some ways to think that things, Take for granted that things exist, and then look at their mechanical causes, look at their physical causes, and think that we're somehow grasping, you know, the manner in which things exist, and then we, what ends up happening in this weird materialist world that we live in is that it's not that symbolism doesn't continue to function, it's just that people pretend, they just ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist. They don't realize that even in terms of memory, like the manner in which you string events together is necessarily structured you can't you know events don't just happen without a structure they in order for you to cut out out of this indefinite amounts of things happening a coherent reality you have to you do it unconsciously but you have to structure that them and then it's like if you ignore these structures the the structure of memory the structure of attention the structure of of how it is that we recognize unity in multiplicity and and you pretend as if that's just kind of taken for granted uh, mm. and then we just analyze the world uh, it worked for a while it it worked for a while it made people very powerful but then then at some point things start to look wonky if you go if you go on that for too long and i think that's the point where we're we're at it's like wait a minute mm. our societies aren't holding together we don't have points of unity we can't get mm. along we're fighting incessantly you know like we we're, we're arguing we we actually don't even live in the same reality so like in the United States, it seems like the, you have two parallel realities and people look at the same events and they just simply do not see the same thing. And so there's an extent to which that's always kind of that can always be true, but it's like it's becoming more and more radical and that's because there is a, a lack of understanding of symbolism, which is there's a lack of understanding that we need transcended principles. In order to gather us into attention, it's like oh, so wait—that's what a king is for. Hmm. So when I complain about like the fact that kings are just like sim- symbolic and they don't have any—they don't have any political use and they don't seem to to do anything, it's like well, you know, maybe you need something to unite your 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 group together. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 in a way the the symbol does play that that role. Um what you what you uh, said about the way we string memory together is very interesting and in that there's a structure because I was just thinking, you know, if I if you tell me to describe my life to you, I'm automatically going to go to my childhood and I'm going to kind of proceed through the different uh, kind of sections of life. Um, and there's a, an order there that I use to string my memory together. And I think, you know, a, a day ago, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, and you you segment things kind of, you you mentioned unconsciously, but yeah, you, you do without even thinking about it. Um, Chesterton had this, I'm actually curious, have you ever read Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton?
1: I've read, I would say, I, I don't know if I ever read all of it, but I, I did try to read all of it. I've read some of it.
0: Okay. Well, he's he's got this um, line, I think it's an orthodoxy, where he says that there's two types of people. People that have dogmas and know it and people that have dogmas and don't know it. Right. Yeah. And I, I wonder if uh, people are still… As in, I mean, I've heard people say that modern people are still as embedded in myths. It's just that the myths themselves have changed, and we label these myths as uh, scientific descriptions of reality. But really, you have a, a creation myth, a destruction myth. Um, so, would you would you say that modern people are still very much mythological? Oh, yeah, there's no of way it? around it.
1: Oh, there's no way around it. You know, if. Yeah. The idea that the Big Bang, the Big Bang, isn't just some Vedantic description of the expansion of the of the, you know, the primal unity and the multiplicity. It's like it's just yeah, that's just it's clearly what that is. And so it's like, you know, this all these images that people use, you know, uh, and so even even the environmental crisis we're in is just an apocalypticism. It's just a form of apocalypticism, um, whether it's justified or not, you know, these things. These things are, are 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 just structured in terms of storytelling and, and myths. So I think you're I think people are definitely in, in the mythological world. And it's and it's not that the myths have changed in some ways. Um, it's it's rather that we live in certain myths and we take on certain characters in certain myths. And so for example, a good example would be to say the modern world is a Promethean world. It's a world that has taken the role of of Prometheus or, you know, the let's say the technical character that brings technique uh, to the world and steals steals knowledge from the gods, you know, without reverence and then applies it to the world in order to increase its power. And so it's like that's that. So it's. That's our world. And some people have recognized it. You know, it's like if you look, go to Rockefeller Center in New York, you'll notice that it's like, yeah, you know, some of the modernists actually knew that that's what they were doing. Um, And so so I think that that's what we need to kind of understand. It's like. There 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 is an inevitability to this story, and it also leads Mm -hmm. to certain things. And so, you know, it's like the idea that the Promethean myth leads to Prometheus being his liver being eaten every day. Um, it's like, people are like, oh, it's horrible. It's so cruel and stupid or whatever. What does it mean? Well, it means that you're in a cycle, like you're in a cycle, you get caught in this cycle that just repeats itself because you're not directed and you're not attentive to something which pulls you forward or pulls you up. And so, you know, it's like the fact that, that a technical modern world would lead to a world, which is also driven by addictions, uh, it's like those two things, you'd think those two things don't go together, but if you knew the story of Prometheus, you would realize that they do. And that, you know, it's like mm. the most technological media advancements are related to pornography and video games. It's like, that's what leads the, the you know, let's say, media technology. And it's like, that's, these two things are related to each other. So...
0: Yeah, and in the case of an uh, in the case of an addiction to alcohol, it is it leads to a quite very real liver damage coincidence uh, consequence. So there's like a there's a negative consequence to being in a myth, but not realizing you're being in a myth. And I was uh, recently watching a sports game, and um, there's a few meme pages I follow on on Instagram, and uh, I think they like to poke fun at the fact that you use a lot of sports analogies. Um, I I myself work in, in, in corporate training, so I train a lot of people. I often find myself relying on sports analogies because they're almost like a little, uh, they're a kind of focused example where people are yeah. familiar with the rules that you can use to, to, to break down these ideas. And uh, I was watching a sports game and there was a moment of silence for the queen's death and it struck me how ritualistic that is and how it really doesn't make sense in a purely materialistic worldview, a, a moment of silence for who, right? um and everybody
1: was like a, a great revealer man that revealed a lot about actually what people find important and you know it kind of reminded the world that there is this like deep this deep symbolic ritual world that is still kind of there underneath and and once in a while it kind of pokes its head up and people are like oh what a ho? It's like how how is it that I I watched this I didn't myself, but I know some people they're like, I found myself watching the Queen's funeral for like three, four hours. Like, really? Hmm, that's super interesting. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and it's all ritual. I mean, it's all yeah. uh uh, you know, the, the parade and the and the, the manner in which they do things. And it it, it it really doesn't make sense if you don't understand that things are embedded within this this mythological structure. And it's almost like like you said, it's always there. Um, and it, it's it's there in our daily activities as well. You know, basic things like just how we greet people. Uh, but I think sometimes it manifests itself in a very direct and hard to uh, ignore way in the case of, like you mentioned, the Queen's death. Um, yeah, interesting. I I am I'm curious um just about your, your 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 Christian your Christian walk. Did your did your uh kind of love for symbolism uh emerge as a consequence of your Christian belief or did it kind of was the symbolism always there and then you you moved towards the the Christian worldview? Um where did the symbolism and the fascination mm-hmm. kind of emerge for you?
1: Well, I think it happened you could say as a kind of not a crisis but let's say that moment in your 20s when you're trying to kind of make sense of the world and you're trying to understand it you're in university and you're being challenged and you're being provoked um and so i think it was just it was myself and my brother that we were kind of developing these ideas together um and i think that's what it was it was like okay so now i'm an adult i need to i need to make sense of this and and I feel like a lot of it doesn't, let's say, or some of the things that I was told or some of the ways that I was presented things just don't reach the level of depth that I need in order to hold on to this, right? And so, you know, when you're, you're in your 20s and you're reading philosophy and you're, you're reading stories from other cultures, you're doing, you're reading different kind of, different spiritual systems that exist all over. It's like, well, it, this has to kind of come together. Um, and I think that, sorry, for both of us, discovering symbolic thinking and, and uh, in scripture, you know, is seeing the patterns in scripture and starting to notice them and then realizing just how powerful that was, you know, it was so, and then it, let's say it led me in a different direction in terms of my Christianity, uh, which is why I ultimately became Orthodox because I, I felt like once you kind of understand the symbolic, structure and the symbolic layer, then all of a sudden the idea, for example, that I grew up with to a certain extent, which is that rituals are superstitious, rituals are, are idolatrous, this kind of thinking where everything has to be informal, everything has to be improvised as much as possible. Uh, you know, and you have to avoid all appearance of hierarchy, all these things. It's like all these type of weird, these type of weird, um, modern tropes, you could say, just went out the window, like they just completely went out the window. And so it was just, it just became almost impossible for me to stay in that, that world. And so I discovered the church fathers and their own analogical symbolic thinking. And then I discovered the liturgy and iconography and, you know, the great, the wonderful language that the Christian church developed in the first millennia.
0: And so I was like, yeah, that, that, that's, it just all made sense. And given that you and your brother were developing these ideas, when you came across the Church Fathers, did it feel like you struck gold? Uh, yeah, I would say. But it's not
1: everywhere in the Church Fathers. For sure, I was attracted to certain Church Fathers more than others, those yeah. that are more typological. And so I really, it's like, that it's the typological approach and the mystagogical text that really struck me, you know, because they're the ones that are saying, you know, like, here's what this means in the Old Testament. Here's what this means in the Old Testament. Related to Christ, um, you know, and then reading Saint Gregory of Nyssa's Life of Moses. I mean, that really was the censure for me. It was just such a that text is so dense in terms of its capacity to to create these deep analogies, you know, between between the Old and the New Testament. Um, yeah, so so
0: yeah, it's great. Sorry, <laughs> no, no, great, great to hear. Well, I'm curious um, since reality does. And you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but since reality does unfold in a series of symbol or a series of patterns, which we can then represent symbolically, what is the meta pattern? What is the pattern of patterns? I mean, it's it's what's written described
1: in Genesis. That's the best the best that they the best story in the Bible. Would be like the story of christ but only because it's a puzzle it's an answer to a puzzle that is posed in the first chapter of the bible in genesis and so the, the 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 pattern is you know a transcendent transcendent infinite and then in order for the world to exist there has to be two opposites heaven and earth uh you know a world of actuality and a world of potential very much the way that you know some of the later neo-platonists, or, or even like Dante presents it, and then there's the places where those meet. There's the incarnational principle, let's say. So it's like it's heaven, earth, and then a point that joins it together. And then once mm-hmm. that happens, the way it joins together, it looks like a mountain because it gathers multiplicity and potential into a point. And so you have a so you have heaven, you have earth, and then you have a mountain. That comes up to a point. It's like, and then you have, you know, a concentric element and an eccentric element and an aspect going up and an aspect coming down, an aspect going towards the center, an aspect going away from the center. Uh, it's like if just that, if you just have that, you basically you've got it. Like that's the pattern, you know. And so the pattern can represent itself in different ways. It can represent itself as a going down the mountain. As it going down the mountain, coming up the mountain in terms of stories, uh, or just going up, and so you can see it you know as a fall and redemption, you can see it and there's all kinds of ways in which you can understand it um, mm. but that's basically the pattern
0: is that pattern present in pretty much every pattern that we encounter whether we whether we want it to be there or not, that union of heaven and earth yeah, I don't there's no other way, so you could understand mm-hmm. it like the
1: meta pattern is the way that is a way the pattern joins with a particular, like that's the meta pattern. And so Mm. it's like, it's actually, it's a self same pattern. Like it's a a pattern about, about how patterns fit with the world. Like that's, that's why it's, that's what makes it strange for people to understand. It's like, it's, it's, it's not an arbitrary pattern. Like it's, it's, it's the pattern of how things exist. It's like, there's, Mm. so there, there's a, so you could think that, you can you can see the pattern as a name. Sometimes it's represented that way. That might be an easy w- easier way to understand it. It's like it's a it's a pointing. So you like a, imagine a finger coming down from heaven and says dog, and it's like and then all the all the all the um, the variability of dog is captured in that name. And so it's like there are millions of dogs and there are hundreds of species. But nonetheless, I can still see dog and there still is a contained unity, you know, within that. Uh, and so, but there's a hierarchy. And so it's like, is it a dog? And then there's there's there are margins to the pattern. And so within the pattern itself, so there are breeds and then there are kind of a mutt. Like, why is a mutt? What is a, why do mutts exist? Like, why is a mutt and, and not just another breed, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. why do we have, a wolf but it's not a dog but it's like a dog it's like on the margin of it's like a transition it's it's you know and so all the all patterns have that reality to them it's like they have a a center and identity they have a, a movement they have a kind of ideal that is invisible that you can see as being the thing that joins it together and then it has exceptions and margins and and uh and variability so Yeah, so so I I think anything you can recognize as having being,
0: you know, uh, has that. I went through like many guys my age. I'm 27 now, but like many guys my age, I went through the new atheism phase, and a lot of guys are still there, and some of the guys are now finding themselves drawn to religion in many varieties. But then, um, for me, I actually in the interim I was immersed in the world of believe it or not, psychedelics. It's actually through one of those experiences where I had a experience of, of kind of seeing uh, very much present meaning in, in front of me. I won't go into too much detail. And when I say this to people, some people get nervous because they think I'm about to say something like, you know, you should, you know, psychedelics are the reason that I came to see the meaning in the world. And as a consequence, I came to eventually see God and as a consequence, eventually came to know Christ and then, and, you know, and so on and so forth. But I would say, you know, for every one or two guys that, that went through that and got out, uh, there's eight or nine guys that are still there. And many people I still know who are still stuck in that world. Yeah. Um, I think in some ways, the psychedelic mm-hmm. kind of community, if I could use that word, um, they seem to me uh, almost on the very fringe of 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 uh, full-on um, religion. Yeah. But in a way, and Paul Vandekler actually talks about this in one of his recent videos, he says it's actually more dangerous, this view, than the uh, pure new atheism. Because at least the new atheist view, uh, the person is kind of close to things, and you know what they're close to, so you can begin to understand why they see things that way. But it's <clears throat> almost like talking you know, talking to a Hindu who says Christ is Christ is Lord and they say yes, he's one of many Lords. you know it's this kind of dissolving of all the categories and accepting just everything, right? Yeah and the mind is so open that I think it was Chesterton who said the point of opening your mind is um, is like opening your mouth so that you can close it again on something solid. Um, mm-hmm. but that that might take a long time, right? you might never get to that point. I know the psychedelic question is 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 a difficult one and people are wrestling with it a lot these days. Do you see it as like a passing phase or do you <laughs> see it as something that in the next 10, 20 years is going to be a serious uh, point of contention between people?
1: Yeah, the second one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think it's 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 going to increase and um, it's something we're going to have to talk about and deal with deal with and so it's it's an ambiguous question it's an ambiguous thing like like you said i've met now several people that have become just become christian because of psychedelics in the sense that they they had an experience which overwhelmed them and then it led them to to god um and to the church but i've also like you said met people who have been have become Almost psychotic, or seem to have lost it because of of that overwhelming experience. so so I think that in it's an ambiguous thing, and it's there's it's this it reflects the ambiguity of what I call this new reenchantment. You know, there's a kind of because of the types of things that I talk about, you know, the fact that people can listen, although there's still new atheists that think I'm just saying gibberish but the 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 fact that there's now an increasing amount of people that can listen to what i'm saying and they they understand what i'm talking about like that is astounding to me it's still astounding because 20 mm-hmm. years ago there was no one to talk to like there was just no one i could talk about these things with without talk about these things with without them thinking that i was just kind of weird or 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 you know or saying nonsense and so so it's so there's this moment now through Jordan Peterson, John Vravake, but then there's other people, it's all kind of happening at the same time. It's 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 really is like almost like a zeitgeist, right? A spirit of the time um, that can understand that, but it has a light and a dark side to it. And so mm. because the, the reenchantment means that religion's coming back, folks, like religion is coming back. There's no way around that at this point. Now the question is what religion and what kind of religion is going to return. And so we can see the inklings of it, kind of pushing back into the world. You have things like Burning Man. You have things like, um, you know, kind of woke religion, you could say, or ideologically driven celebration and uh, and circumambulation. We have these almost kind of divine, like the worship of the of the drag queen, or like there are different type there are types of behaviors that are, you know, kind of. Manifesting the need, like the desire that people have, again, uh, it's in- unconscious for religion to kind of flood back in. We saw a lot of religious tropes during COVID, like a lot of religious tropes were just kind of flooding back in. So it's it mm-hmm. it's just going to keep growing. And I think, but it's a lot of it's going to be very dark, but some of it, once in a once in a while, it's it's actually making it possible, like opening the opportunity for people to then maybe see the better the light side of of that right which is a, a possibility of an integrated symbolic world which is aimed towards the good so i think that psychedelics is just one more facet of that where it has the same effect where most of the time seems to kind of lead people into exactly what you said a kind of deconstruction or you know it's it's like an but it's weird because it's always very contradictory. Uh, you yeah, know. But this right. idea like everything goes like, you know, I'm a universalist. Right. So so I I, I had, you know, I, I've all religions have something and therefore I'm nothing. Right. Therefore, I don't mm-hmm. follow any religion because secretly I'm saying that I'm above all of them. Like I, you know, it's like that no one would say that, but that's what it ends up looking like. Um, and so you see that it's like when I listen to. Uh, like uh, some of the modern terence mckenna and and alan watts and these kind of guys and it's like that's what it feels like there's a lot of what they're saying sounds like that it's you know it's like i am i'm too good for these religions you know it's like i have i have i have the so i i see a lot of that but we'll see look i don't i i i've said many times what i think about psychedelics is that i think it's dangerous uh yeah. and i don't think it's evil in itself and I think that there once in a while, it seems to definitely be something that manifests. It's participating in this, in this thing, but it's, it's dual. It's ambiguous. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think the ambiguity is the biggest, the biggest problem is you really never know what you're going to get. Um, it's but
1: also because people are attached to the psychedelics. This is the biggest problem. I would say like the biggest problem with psychedelics is the psychedelic in the sense that mm. people think that that's what spirituality is, and so I keep telling mm-hmm. people because if you listen to that guy, I forget his name, the guy, the guy who wrote about Eleusinian mysteries and all this stuff, like the, Jordan had him on his channel.
0: He's yeah, like, I know. We have the key
1: now, like we know that soma was a psychedelic. We know that that the 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 the, the drink that they had at the Eleusinian mysteries was a psychedelic, and so we've got it. It's psychedelic. That's the key, and it's like you know what. The Eleusinian Mysteries lasted three days, right? And it was like three days of heavy rituals. Probably you didn't eat, probably you didn't sleep. It was like massively taxing and engaging on you. And if at the end of that, maybe there was some kind of psychedelic, it's like only a modern person would then look at that and say, well, we got the formula. This is it. This is the (laughs) chemical formula for spirituality. This is the God formula. And so just take this pill, just take this mushroom, And you're going to have the same experience. And it's like it's like, no. And it's the same with the shamans. Like shamans were initiated, and there was like they would they wouldn't just spread this stuff around. Like they just didn't have tourists come and then then initiate them into their shamanism. It was an ex- excruciating process, probably a lifetime process. And if there was some psychedelic involved in that, you can't reduce it to that. Everything else is probably way more important. Than the substance that they would end up taking, like you said, because it it had to be directed, it had to be framed, it had to be brought in a line so that it would yield the fruits. So let's say if it was just ripping off the veil, then it would have give you would have gotten all the discernment you need in order to to be able to to deal with what it is that you encounter. And that's why in the Christian tradition, like those states are attained through. Through prayer, through fasting, through, you know, you know, through rigorous ascetic practices, because those ascetic practices make you what you need to be in order to encounter those realities. And so. Yeah, I think it's probably the best way to understand it, that that's that's probably with the biggest problem. So, you you know, you go to some you just get the pill and you take it and it's like, Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, and there is a kind of synthetic uh, role playing of the shaman figure that I used to notice when I would attend. Um, you know, I would go to festivals where people would, you know, take uh, LSD or they would take mushrooms or these things, and you'd meet a guy who's you know sitting alone in the corner, and he's dressed like a shaman. He's he he talks deliberately in a certain way to try and I don't know if he's trying to convey some kind of an image to you or trying to kind of convince himself that he's there. But I mean, this guy, I mean, he Paul and I could have, you know, grown up down the street from me or, you know, he's from, you know, the city next door. And he's I mean, the closest thing he's gotten to full blown shamanism is maybe some kind of side quest in a Skyrim, you know, while playing Skyrim or some other video game and it's almost like this desire to embody something that you don't really understand and uh you think that you have you kind of hinted at it but you you feel you have some kind of secret knowledge this esoteric knowledge really that that um that makes you unique and i think it's it's a very it's a very um risky thing to do because you can very easily become inflated and you can very easily fall into this sense of pride and you almost in a way deny your humanity, deny your sin. Um, because you you need to appear to other people like you have everything together and that you're all wise and that you know everything. When in reality you absolutely don't. Yeah. And well, hilarious,
1: because think... if you if you read the ascetic fathers, they tell you ignore all spiritual experiences. That's to say, hmm. and they're not saying you're not gonna have some. They're saying, Yeah, you will have. You'll have spiritual experiences. You have all the experiences, ignore them. And it's like that's the total opposite of the psychedelics guy. It's like the psychedelics <laughs> guy is just like, oh, I had this religious experience, I had this vision. The ascetic fathers is like, yeah, visions, ignore them, ignore your visions. And it's like, and it's weird because it's like, nonetheless, these visions end up feeding the entire culture of of uh, of the church. Right. And so it's like we have celebrations. We have moments where we celebrate the protection of the Mother of God, where someone fell into a trance and had a vision of the Mother of God, like holding a veil over the city. And so it's like it's actually the visions do end up feeding the, the whole culture. But in your experience, if you have a vision,
0: ignore it completely. It's it's almost like psychedelics are becoming the idol of our times, like the main idol. Um, it's very interesting to say that the, the obsession with psychedelics themselves, you know, somebody takes takes a drug and then they have this experience. And then for a lot of people, um, that's not enough. They they, 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 At some point, it's not that they're addicted, but they, they they, feel that they can't get there unless they take that substance again. So, you know, that they, they had this incredible trip at one point, and then they feel, okay, I, I need to do this again. And then they end up almost, I would say, kind of justifying this use of, the drug, and they almost idolize it. They lift it up as this perfect thing. And any problem that happens, it's not the drug. It's it's always me as the individual. Um, and then what's interesting is that at that point, ritual kind of starts to sneak in. And you'll hear people say things like, the set and the setting are more important than the psychedelic itself. Which is a, yeah. which is. I, I don't know if I should say this, but it, you know, in a very weird way, it almost sounds like a step in the right direction. Um, although you you don't want to be going in on that path anyway, but it's, it's, it's that ritual element is there to try and facilitate the experience you're going to have. Right. And, um, I think that a lot of, a, a lot of the people I've met, a lot of the people I've spoken to, um, they are, they're easier to talk to, in a sense, than, uh, you know, an atheist, in a way, it's easier for me to to relate to them on a, I could say, on a symbolic level, because the, the, their mind, some part of their mind is, is more open to that, I would say. Um, they're more willing to consider these possibilities, because the things that they've seen, they, you know, they, they feel that the world is, is, is so strange now that, you know, religion almost becomes a possibility again. But I think also a lot of people come into it and they have a very negative view of religion already, and then they take a psychedelic and they see that as an alternative. They don't see that as something pointing them, telling them, hey, hold on, there's something bigger here. You need to get out of this. You need to go back to the truth." thing. They see the psychedelic as, oh, this is the thing. This is basically the God that I should be worshiping. And so They'll talk about it like a god, right? They'll say you have to respect the plant, and you have to, um, you have to, in a sense, venerate the psychedelic. Um, I'm curious what you what you think of that.
1: Yeah, there's. I I think what you have described is is perfectly right, and it's and it's also. You could say it's like, why are we talking about mushrooms for a very long time? why like why why i mean i don't I, that that's fine it's like but it, it it's weird it's like i'm talking about why am i talking about mushrooms in a space where i'm talking about the meaning of life like why why mm. am i talking about that so it's like i mean i'm not saying that it's completely irrelevant to talk about the means by which let's say you you kind of reach places but you know if uh, how can i say this it's like if I'm going to visit my family, you know, I don't talk about the car all the time. Like I talk about visiting my family, and so it's it's when when you when you you have these weird moments where someone's just all they're talking about is the car. You're like, what's going on? Like, what, why why are we talking about this for long amounts of time? <laughs> so, yeah, and I remember because I remember it's one of the things that hit me. It's one of the reasons why I I, I never really took drugs when I was a, even a teenager was I would be with my friends and they were they would just talk about pot. And they would just talk about pot Mm -hmm. for hours. And then it was like they had these like secret little pouches and like little secret. They had like little containers and they had like aestheticized their pot use and like Mm -hmm. ritualized it. And it was like, this is ridiculous, folks. Like, what are
0: we doing? Like, what is this?
1: I I find this very uninteresting. It's all very uninteresting. So, yeah, I feel a little bit the same in terms of the psychedelics.
0: Maybe we could go to a simple question. But in your in your mind, what is okay? This is not a simple question. What is the relationship between consciousness and reality?
1: Um. So, I think I I also I need to say very and very importantly that the word consciousness is a modern. It's a word it, I don't know what its origin is, but it's definitely not a word that's used by the church fathers. It's not a word that is that is um yeah that is used by in, in the christian tradition so much uh but yeah. it's okay it's an okay word it's fine uh, the best way to understand it in my opinion is is it, it has to do with attention mm-hmm. right it has to do with what john reveki calls relevance relevance realization and so the 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 problem is again the problem of multiplicity it's like how do we background and foreground things how do we know that they're relevant enough to see, to, not just in terms of your eyes, but to like perceive. And then how, then we attend. And so attention is, you could say, the world is made of attention. It may be a good way to understand that, that, the, that attention is one of the elements that coagulates multiplicities into identities. Um, and so maybe that's the best way to understand it. And so it's like the world could be cut up and you, you can understand like on a purely quantified, quantified level, the world could be cut up in an indefinite amount of ways, but it's not. It's cut up in certain ways. And those have to do with what we attend to, has to do with what we care about. <clears throat> you know, it has to do with the what we are capable of being conscious of, you could say. Uh, and so that is, and so then the, the attention and the relevance, realizing what is relevant so that yeah. I can formulate categories, uh, both both propositionally, but also just in terms of grabbing things and, and engaging with things and knowing that it's like, oh, I'm grabbing that. That's a hammer. Like, I'm going to use it to do this. I'm, you know, I'm walking on something which is solid and then I see there's water and I don't walk on that. And so it's like, that's what I mean. It's like, it's not just an abstract mental thing. It's an actual realizing of what is relevant and what is meaningful and in what way as I engage with the world. Uh, and so that is that is where symbolism comes from. So the symbolism of water has very little to do with its physical, physical characteristics in terms of what molecules uh, co- constitute it, but it has everything to do with the fact that you drink water, you can drown in water, you bathe in water, water comes from above, and then there's salt water below. It's like, Th- this is what, this is what constitutes the symbolism of, of water. And if you ignore yeah. that and you think that water is just a bunch of molecules, you will die. It's as simple as that. You will die. You will die because you're not drinking it. You will die because you drown in it. Like whatever it is, you're going to die if you don't live in the symbolic world.
0: So yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so that's the relationship I think.
0: No, great answer. Great answer. Um, that, that uh, the the water analogy is great because it's it's also like um, y- you can't see things as just a bunch of uh, I want to use the word things again, um, but I don't yeah, walk into components,
1: the, like a bunch of components that yeah. that constitute
0: something. Yeah, yeah. You, and then,
1: you just cannot. It doesn't. The world doesn't doesn't work that way.
0: Yeah, and we don't experience it that way at all. Yeah and the way we experience it and i would say also the way okay well maybe this is maybe another question i could ask you so when somebody looks at a situation and they frame it differently so i i don't know where i heard it but and i'm so careful these days to say there was a study that said this or there was a study that said that but just bear with me. Apparently, there was a study where they went to Olympic athletes who had won bronze, silver and gold medals, and they tried to figure out which one had the most regret. And uh, you would maybe think the bronze medalist because they came in third place, but they've actually found it was the silver medalist because the silver medalist, the way they framed the situation is that they were so close to the goal. They were so close to being number one, but they didn't reach it. The gold medalist is obviously just happy that they won. And the bronze medalist He's just happy that he had a place on the on the podium, right? He's just happy that yeah, he got to be up sure. there at all. And so I'm curious, uh, especially with the recent rise of, you know, stoicism, and I know John Viveki talks about this a lot in his, you know, when he talks about the meaning crisis and stoicism is kind of one of these reemergences as a consequence of, um, I hope I'm not misrepresenting what he said, but just off of the top of my head, stoicism is kind of emerging and this idea of, you know, the way I perceive things uh, can actually change the way I feel about things, which actually, as a consequence, changes the way I experience reality. And I think that's true. Um, You know, I think if you view water as a a set of components making up something and then you view it, as you've said, in the symbolic sense, that's obviously going to change the way you perceive things and as a consequence going to change the way you feel about the world and the way you experience reality. So our framing, our conceptual system and reality – I don't think you can find a clear line between the two. Is that a fair thing to say?
1: No, I think I think you're right. I think you 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 can't, especially if you understand the the what I proposed at the outset, which is the inevitability of attention and relevance in the problem of how things exist. Uh, and so we're not talking about the material causes of things when we're talking about that. It's like we're not also denying them. We're not saying that it's all the magical worlds, you know, of imagination there. The, the world has, let's say the world as we experience it has certain constituents. And those it doesn't deny any of the scientific realities that people discover. Uh, yeah. You know, but but it, yeah, but it's it's contained within the symbolic world. It's necessarily because humans care for a, a definite amount of things and in, in a hierarchy. And so it's like humans. How can I say this? A good way to explain it would be humans can care about NASA, you know, taking pictures of deep space. They can care about that, but they better care about that less than they care about eating and sleeping because you'll die again. Like there's a hierarchy of care and, and that hierarchy of care manifests itself constantly. Mm -hmm. And so, and so the same would be like, even in terms of scientific research. So you can research things like, like that, for example, like what, what stars are made of and, and and humans can care about that but if you do that and then you stop like doing research that's that is about what humans care about in the most immediate way then you're going to break everything things are going to break and people are going to revolt you know and so it's like there's just a there's just a normal hierarchy of care that people ignore you know they it's it's just it's just about getting back into your body and realizing the world you really live in and realizing that you know I can believe that the that the the Earth goes revolves around the sun, but it's more important that the sun comes up in the morning because that organizes my day and it organizes all of society. And people are you know most people are awake during the day and most people sleep at night, and that's basically the pattern of everybody you know and everything that functions in the world. And so, it's so if you mock if or if you say something like it's an illusion right the sun coming up mm. in the morning is an illusion what's really true is that the earth you know the earth is 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 turning on itself or that the earth rotates around around the sun or whatever like you know the 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 precession of the sun in the sky in in terms of seasons it's an illusion right all of this type of thinking this is this is where people fall into nihilism and where they don't yeah. realize the world they live in they just don't realize that You can say that as much as you want, but you can't stop the fact that that the sun, you know, coming up in the morning and going going down at night manages your world, everything
0: about it. So. Well said, and, um, you know, I, I I was one of my I would say. One of the experiences I went through that really led to my conversion was actually walking in the garden with my mom and she. She'd been going through a very rough time at the, uh, at the time. This was a, f- a few years back, about, I think, six or seven years back. And I was kind of the, I don't know what you'd say, the, the new age uh, guy who uh, went to Cambodia and came back and thought he understood Zen and was reading McKenna and reading Watts. And I was very much within that whole world. And I just saw suffering. You know, I saw my mom going through a very rough time and I just, my whole worldview just collapsed right in front of me in that moment. I just realized that telling, saying to her in that moment, I didn't say it, but, you know, it was on my mind wanting to say to her, you know, all this suffering, all this pain, it's all just an illusion. In that moment, I just realized how, how phony, how superficial, how flat, how, how uh, nihilistic that actually is um, mm-hmm. because it's almost like you sh- don't have to care about anything really uh, and I, I, I still cringe a little bit when I hear people say well everything's just an illusion I say okay but now what right <laughs> where, where do we go from here what's the point of doing anything if everything's an illusion If all the suffering all the ambition I feel is just I mean yeah, I think you when immediately people slightly
1: slap someone in the face when they say that like right away just slap them really hard in the face and then to just smile all right let, let carry on then, Mr. illusion it's
0: like <laughs> yes well yeah I mean it's 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 like people who say uh, i don't have I don't have a moral problem with stealing and then they get robbed right and then you realize yeah. they actually do have a pretty big do, uh, right? problem when with, with theft right and I can
1: tell you like I can I can give you the trick like the if you want to understand the new atheist trick or like the materialist trick the nihilist trick it's very simple and it doesn't take it doesn't take much once you understand it. All you mm-hmm. have to do is reduce a, a united being to its components. And you don't have to do it. You have to do it just one level. Right? So mm-hmm. someone, said, someone says something is meaningful. And then you say, oh, that's just like a human being is just, you know, a bunch of chemicals that are that are a bag of chemicals, you know. So what you do, and so and so and the funny thing is that a bag of chemicals is also an identity they all, all those things, the elements also have identities because, you know, you, there's a hierarchy of that. Uh, but that's, if you want to understand people do it all the time, they'll say something like, you know, it's like whatever it is that you're doing, that's meaningful. They'll just reduce it to its elements. It's like shaking hands. What you just touch people. We just touch our hands together. That's what we're doing. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to touch, to touch our hands. What are we doing? Right? So you can do that for anything, anything that has meaning, but then the trick and this is the trick is that all the elements you, you, you bring it down to are also meaningful and symbolic and ritualized. And so you would have to like go all the way down. Right? It's like, you could always say about everything, oh, it's just a quantum field or whatever. It's just a, just a field of possibility. Everything's just a field of possibility. Uh, but usually you can just do it one step. So it's like, if you really want to be, if you really want to be Mr. Cynical, that's all you need to do is just, just reduce. Oh, it's a, you just have to reduce it to its elements, right? It's like, uh, you know a story in the Bible, right? or some guy, right? Some guy gets nailed to a cross, he dies, and he comes back to life. Like that's it. That's your religion. Seriously, it's ridiculous, right? And you can do about you can do it with anything. It's great. It's like it's a it's a beautiful. It's like a trick. But once you see it, once you see that that's what happens. It's like you can't you can you won't fall for it ever again when somebody tries to reduce something to its elements.
0: Yeah. Well, as you as you were saying that, I, it, I mean, you mentioned people can do with anything. I. I it's almost like a, a good example of how it, it kind of injects nihilism into things is supposing I come to you and I've had a really rough week at work and it's Friday and I'm in a good mood because it's Friday. And I think, yes, the, the weekend's coming up. I've got Saturday. I've got Sunday. Aren't you glad it's Friday? And you say to me, well, look, uh, you know, in three days it's Monday. Or or uh, I come to you in December and I come to December and I say, I'm so glad it's December. And you say, yeah, but guess what next month is? And it's, in a way, to me, it is as the same thing as to what you're describing. It's, it's in a way, reducing things to um, components. Well, okay, what really is, what really does Friday mean? Since, you know, it's just another arbitrary the point. It's just a
1: convention. Yeah, it's just a convention yes. of time that we've imposed on ourselves. Yes. And it's just funny. Yeah. yeah, like I said, it's hilarious. Neil deGrasse t- Tyson does that all the time. That's like, it's basically it's right. one move. His one move is to say something like, there's absolutely nothing special about December 25th. You know, it's not even the solstice. It's like a few days after the solstice. It has no, like there's no, there's no uh, geographic, you know, thing in, happening in the sky that could explain the significance of, of that day. It's just another day, basically. So you can do that. And, and he does it constantly. It's, it's hilarious.
0: <laughs> I think now that you've revealed it, I'm probably going to start noticing it a lot more. I don't know if it's going to
1: yeah, pay attention to him in particular. He's he's the I don't know if he's still even is still kind of uh, online much, but like if you look at his tweets and you look at his posts, you'll see that he does it constantly. He just reduces something to its elements and then declares it to be non-meaningful.
0: Wow. So when you when you wake up in the morning and you get out of bed and you open the blinds and you you see the sun shining do you find in yourself this tendency to materialize things or to produce them down? Or or, 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 is it kind of like a, an active mental effort you have to put in to try and see things symbolically or does it get better as time goes on? Is it almost like a habit or is it more like mm. a switch that goes off? What you th- <laughs> thinking, thinking symbolically mean? Uh, yeah, so, I don't know. Um, I, I don't so-
1: totally know. Like, yeah, I don't totally know why it is that, like I say we're able to think this way. I, I, it just—it's something that happened to us in some ways. Um, it's not necessarily. It's also a product of our time. Thinking symbolically, is not, in some ways, it's a sign that we're in a bad place. Because in the normal world, you don't think. You don't have to think symbolically at all. You just exist. The fact that we think symbolically is is actually a sign of alienation. That Mm -hmm. the steam symbolism is a sign of alienation. And so it's like you don't usually you don't you don't talk about what it means to shake hands. You just shake hands. You don't you don't explain to people why you would have to sit around the table and eat together because it it has it has the symbolic element or why you should participate in this and that religious ritual. Because it's because it brings together the different elements towards one. Usually you would just do that. It would be intuitive. You wouldn't have to explain it. And so the fact that let's say I'm explaining it means that I live in a certain, that I actually live in a form of alienation. Like I'm, I am alienated and, and I'm actually kind of using that alienation against itself where it's like I'm alienated enough to then look back and see the pattern and they escape. Wait a minute, but this is actually meaningful. Like this this is actually meaningful. Uh, But this helps people to understand also why, because often people tell me like why don't the church fathers explain symbolism? Why why don't they talk about symbolism? And I'm like they didn't have to explain it. They just had mm. to exist mm. in it. All they did, so they did typology, they would just they would create analogies between, you know, different aspects of the world, uh, but they didn't explain the typologies and they didn't they didn't have to break it down for people who didn't live in that world anymore, but like sadly that's what we have to do. So so in some ways it's, it, I think it's also important to understand that in some ways, even what I'm doing in is is from somewhat of an alienated position. And so mm-hmm. it's like it's hard to say. It's not natural for me to, like, go to church. It's an effort. Right? Yeah. It's not something that just comes naturally, and like participate in the liturgy. I, I enjoy it, and I, I find great joy and meaning and purpose in it, but it's not something that just kind of flows, you know, I, I'm more, I am more modern, and most people are more modern than that, so...
0: Yeah, it, it kind of makes me think of if I tell you a joke, and then as I tell you the joke, I start explaining the joke, and it's through the explanation and the analysis of the joke that i actually remove all the humor from it and then you know you you don't laugh as opposed to me just telling you the joke and you you laugh right it's yeah. that difference between or playing a board game and you know as we're playing i'm i'm talking about the the guy who created the board game and his history and it's kind of irrelevant to the game we're playing right the point is to be immersed in it so that's a, that's an interesting point to me because I think sometimes I, you know, your watches, especially your content, you know, there's almost a sense that I think I'm I'm doing something wrong. Like I should be seeing the world in a specific way, and if I could just do that, then things, uh, you know, I somehow I'd feel different or I'd experience things in a more joyous way. But really, it's not about analyzing the world and trying to get into something it's really just about going about your life um i hate to say it but it sounds a lot like um before enlightenment chop wood carry water after enlightenment chop wood carry water
1: <laughs> yeah something like that yeah that sounds that sounds fine uh, but it's okay to have a bridge like i think that in yeah. some ways let's say what i'm trying to do is kind of jumpstart something right it's like you Mm. got a you got a motor that needs to be jump-started and then once it gets going then at some point you hope that that people will be more involved and engaged uh but but so yeah so it's not it's not completely useless of course not if it was completely useless i wouldn't do it i think it is useful and i think that so one of the things that i try to do let's say is try to Invo- let's say try to provoke insight in people like that's something that's real. Yeah. So if I can connect things together in a way that you didn't expect, like I can surprise you with a connection. And once you see the connection, you know, it's re- It's true. Right. You can't go back. You can't think the way you did before. You hadn't seen it until it was shown to you. And then when you see it, it's like, yeah, there's no way that I can that I can deny this now that I've seen it. And so I think that those insight moments are important and useful for people to jumpstart the symbolic machine, you could say, and, and now realize, wait a minute, no, like actually the world is pattern and the world is meaningful. And so, yeah, so that is something I think that that you can do in terms of symbolism that is, that is almost more useful than explaining the way symbolism works is actually Causing insight, uh, and so in some ways, art does that and can do that if it's well if it's well done too. So,
0: yeah, I'm I'm actually reminded of a of a quote about uh, the Greeks couldn't see the trees for the dryads, um, or you know, the naturalist talks about the bush and the brook, but the supernaturalist talks about the god of the bush, the god of the brook, and the god of the bush, and it's almost like you need to discuss these points like you say to get things started but hopefully one day you know you won't need to necessarily be conscious about it and i think a lot of it comes down to the way that people pass on this knowledge to their children and i think people actually actively need to maybe not speak in i don't know purely symbolic terms um but I definitely avoid reducing things down constantly. I think oh, yeah, that's probably sure. the, the first step, right? That's a then, huge, yeah, uh, no,
1: that's a huge thing. And then also understand the, the value of sim- symbolic living, you know, and so therefore at least engage in the type of symbolic living that is that is the, the most immediate to you. Like a simple example is, um, at least here in North America, we've, we've come to a point where people don't eat together. Families don't eat together. And and so they have all these different schedules and everything. And so they just don't sit together every day to have a meal. And, and it's like, yeah, your family won't survive. You're you, you can't survive as a, as one, if you don't have ritualized and let's say encounters between the people that are supposed to constitute the unity. And so, Mm -hmm. so you have, you, that actually has to, has to happen. And so, people can understand it's like what well, I'm going to be deliberate about this right I'm going to have family meals every day because without them that basic pattern it's more important than resolving your conflicts like having a family meal every day has more value than like trying to fix some specific thing in your marriage or in your in your family and so and so I hopefully yeah so hopefully things like symbolic thinking or symbolic intuition will help people see that that these, these types of activities are worth um, investing in.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point to end on, uh, Jonathan. Thank you so much for your time.